humans, welcome to our podcast, Deconstruct. We're your hosts, Lauren and Adam. We dive headfirst into conversations breaking down things like religion and purity culture, sex, spirituality, and the world around us. Although we now consider ourselves to be somewhere between agnosticism and mystical atheism, we often speak from our experiences from our time spent in the Christian music industry and religious upbringing. We bring on a variety of guests to hear their story and help demystify topics that we were once taught to fear or ignore, expanding the lenses through which we see the world. We'd love to hear your story. You can find us on Instagram at deconstruct.pod. Now, on to the episode. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we have Corey Latusik. She is 26 years old and just started her professional career as a firefighter. She's married to her beautiful wife, Jess, and is passionate about equality, freedom from sexual shame, and talking about hard things. She grew up Southern Baptist in Arkansas and came out as gay at 22. Her faith journey evolved a lot after that and is still evolving today. She finds the person of Jesus to be fascinating, but has been very hurt by the institution of the church. Let's get into the episode. All right. My first question for you, Corey, um, you recently, I mean, you, you've talked about on your social media that you are a firefighter, but you recently made a post about it. And so I kind of want to start there. Um, so yeah. tell me about your firefighter journey. <laughs> yeah. So I was a police officer before this. Uh, I actually started my career in law enforcement in Arkansas, um, which is a much different world of policing than Mm. the Northwest. Mm -hmm. And I kind of realized that I didn't love policing through, um, I kind of got into the career because I knew the chief of police actually at my um, university that I attended. And so he essentially was like, you should apply and I think you'd be great. And so I did and worked down there for about a year and um, enjoyed it. I worked at a college campus there, but never really felt like law enforcement was meant for me. Mm. Um, And I'm sure, you know, people can relate on that with jobs. Like it just didn't feel right. Um, But I didn't know what I wanted to do and I didn't really have another path. I have a bachelor's degree in psychology, which didn't really get me anywhere. And Um, I didn't really have like a dream job. So I just was like, okay, I'll stay in law enforcement. I ended up moving up to Washington to the Seattle area and um, where I live now and became a cop up here. Um, I actually met some firefighters up here when I worked in Everett and became really good friends with one of them. And he was like, you should apply for fire. Uh, I was like, well, I don't know anything about fire. Like I, I don't know anything about tools. Like I didn't grow up in a family that like taught me anything about like tools and fixing things. And that's a lot of my job as a firefighter is not fighting fire, but it's like fixing things and, you know, utilities and water leaks and chainsaws and tool. Like I just didn't have any experience with tools. And so I was, I was a little hesitant there, but, Mm. um, I quit my job as a cop actually, um, after I got into a pretty bad shooting and basically just realized the lack of mental health, um, kind of resources for police officers and was like, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Like, I don't think this is the right path for me and started pursuing fire, um, about a year and a half ago and 
lucked out with getting hired. I work for an agency um, that's growing really rapidly in this area, and I cover um, a really beautiful area of Washington State where all the hiking trails are and the mountains and stuff. So um, it's been awesome, and I I love it. I just had my fifth shift, so I'm still very new. Wow, but I'm, congratulations. I'm loving it. Thank you. That's not an easy <laughs> job to get into from what I understand. It's a lot of volunteer yeah. first and kind of you got to – kind of cut your teeth mm-hmm. doing it. Yeah. It's super competitive. They say like less than 5% of the people that apply get hired. Um, so I was like pretty stoked <laughs> to, yeah. to get a job. And uh, it's been really busy. We were actually in the middle of like a pretty intense snowstorm up here in Seattle. So like we've been really, really busy the last couple of days and I work again tomorrow and I'm sure it'll be very busy tomorrow because the roads are horrible and no one knows how to drive in the ice. So. <laughs> so was was being around nature and all the like hiking paths and stuff, was that a part of what you wanted to do? Is that why you moved to that area? Because I know it's like beautiful with like Olympia National Forest over there. And I'm sure that's like a, an entirely different version of firefighting versus just being in like a downtown metropolitan area. Like you're dealing with actual like forest fires and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, that is one of the big things that actually drew me to Eastside Fire, where I work, is like the service area that we cover is very diverse. So we have a little bit of like city, um, not real big city, but a little bit of city vibe. And then a lot of like like wildland stuff, a lot of water rescue, trail rescue, which is really what I want to do long term is like water rescue. Um, And so that was really interesting to me to be able to like have a different skill set than just like commercial fires. Um, cause trail rescues are a whole different, <laughs> almost career than fighting a structure fire is just a completely right. different thing. So I, I love that we have the diversity in calls, um, both in aid calls and EMS stuff. We obviously that's 80% of our job is EMS. And then, um, just very various, um, kind of rescue type situations, trench rescues, um, confined space rescues, just a lot of things that aren't anywhere else in the state, which is cool. So uh, you obviously tried two different police stations and and communities Mm -hmm. that you were going to be in. And I know a lot of my family is law enforcement or ex-law enforcement. And community is a massive part of the mental health that you were talking about. Not just like knowing that you can rely on the people around you, but literally like you're in everybody's in the trenches all day long. You're dealing with stuff that nobody Mm -hmm. wants to deal with. And your job is successful when everybody thinks you're not doing anything because they're not worried about anything. And that can be really <laughs> challenging. And I, uh, I, I, I know you kind of talked a little bit about how you've been burned by church communities and stuff like that. And I'm just curious how how is it for you now that you're finding something that you're really passionate about? How is how is that community for you? How is the development of of spaces that are familial like that, where you are dependent on one another to keep each other in check? Like, I'm sure there's got to be some parallels there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, It's a very different environment. I think police and fire are so, so, so different in that regard. And that's something I really appreciate about the fire services. It is very tight knit. It's a very close like brotherhood, sisterhood. Um, And you're you're literally never alone, which as a cop, I was always alone. Um, And I, I did not like that. I I don't like being by myself all the time. Sure. I'd like need alone time. I think I'm a little bit of an ambivert. So yeah. I, I like 
people, but in smaller kind of like one or two people is kind of what I prefer, which is what we work as a team and in a, a team of three. Yeah. So that's been like really cool for me to have that space. And it feels a lot like the church community that I used to have, like this space, like the firehouse is a very, I mean, it, we literally live there for 24 hours. So it's become, I mean, it is our second home. We have a bed, we have a shower, we have you know, a kitchen. And so it's cool to like have a space like that with people that, um, literally, you know, would, would die for me. Like it's a very unique career in that aspect. And I think a little bit of me like was craving that, especially after kind of leaving the church is like, what, what career can I get into that I can develop deep relationships? Because obviously those exist out of the church, but I haven't been able to find them. So no, for sure. I mean, like I get it. I I've worked in a lot of different jobs and not not every place that you work is necessarily a place where you're going to like foster actual community with people but right when you're in a situation like that where you basically live together you're on call at all times you always have to just kind of show up for one another that's like that's a very different thing that's super cool that you've been able to find that um, yeah. yeah i saw earlier that your post that you had a post about 911 and that being one of the kind of spark points for you to actually want to get into law enforcement and I'm yeah. curious, was obviously a lot of the response there was was firefighters and it was uh, first responders. What mm-hmm. what what was it for you? Did you did you try law enforcement because you felt like that could be that could be an avenue for you, or has it always been the firefighting side of thing like of things like what what, what how did yeah. that mold your trajectory? Yeah, good question. Um, so I was pretty little when 9/11 happened. I was six. Um, so I, I didn't remember details of it. I just remember my kindergarten teacher, like turning on the TV and we got dismissed for the day. Like, I don't remember a whole lot of like the conversation around it, but obviously as I grew up, it was like, this is a big deal. And these are the people that were the heroes of, of the day. Um, and for me, like I didn't have this dream of being a first responder. I just knew I wanted to be in a field that was, uh, challenging to me, both like, professionally, physically, mentally, emotionally, like I love to be challenged. I love change. Um, and so I didn't even think about firefighting, honestly, because in Arkansas where I grew up, like women were not in the fire service at all. Uh, it's very much, and still to this day, I mean, it's a very, very much a male dominated career. And I mean, there's only seven women in my whole department and there's like 150 men. So it's, it's still very, very much a man's world. And so my, my goal is, is to change that. Um, but I think what originally got me interested in law enforcement was the ability to work with sex trafficking victims. And that was kind of my, my, my goal was to be a sex crimes detective. Um, that was a super, it is a big passion of mine to, um, to end sex trafficking and to talk about that and kind of the things that lead to that. And I think of anything in the world, like that would be the worst life to have of, of anything. And so my, my goal with law enforcement was like, I want to put people in jail that traffic women um, and men, but you know, predominantly women. And, um, that was really my, my path. But then I realized, okay, this is, this is not it for me. Like I'm more of a healer. I'm more of a helper. I'm more of a rescuer. Like that's way more of like my heart and my personality is like, I want to rescue people. 
Um, which again, that, that side of me with sex trafficking, yes, I wanted to rescue women from sex trafficking, but that's just such a narrow field uh, in the grand scheme of law enforcement. Like it's, it's very, um, very hard to get in. Yes. Yeah. I mean, when you're steeped in it all the time and you're doing long-term casework and you're working with other caseworkers and stuff like that, like it's just, yeah. It can it can be heavy really quick, and yeah. I'm sure that that's that's especially with where you were you were even at with the work that you were doing in law enforcement with that already giving yeah. you enough issue with like mental health. Um, it, it it wasn't helping you in any sort of way. There was no like support system for that, so I'm sure that was yeah. maybe flagging you away from that too. Yeah, and I I love I love just the idea of being a first responder. I think my favorite thing about it is like being there for people on the worst day of their lives. And that's something that is consistent across the board, both with police and fires. Like when, when someone calls 911, it's the worst day of their life for the yeah. most part. Um, and so getting to respond and walk into someone's house and make their day better is a, an experience that is unlike anything I've ever felt. Um, and it's, it's hard to describe it because if you've never been on the other side of it, it's like, um, just a really unique experience and a really cool opportunity to be trusted with that. Yeah. And you, uh, you're married. Yes. You, you have a wife named Jess. I do. Uh, when did you guys get married? We got married in July. So okay. Not even a six year. months ago. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Newlywed. Thank you. Yes. Very, very new. So our first, our first Christmas as a married couple. Awesome. I love that so much. So what does Jess think about the new career on you? Yeah, she, she likes it. She, uh, when we met, I was actually in the police Academy, which is funny. Oh wow. Um, (laughs) we met on Instagram and I was going through the, my first police Academy in Arkansas at the time. And, um, she, she was impressed that I was like a girl going through police Academy because even in law enforcement, like it's more common, I would say, for women to be in law enforcement. But even even that, like, there's maybe like twenty percent are yeah. women. Yeah. Um, and it's not nearly as physically challenging as as fire is. But she thought it was cool. I mean, she was like, "Oh, you you wear a uniform, like, you know, that's that's a cool, like, respectable career." And again, this was <laughs> five almost five years ago, so the times were very different than they are now. <laughs> yeah. And and how old um, were you then? I was twenty one. Oh, okay. Um, so I had just graduated college and I left for the police academy the day after I graduated college. Wow. And you and you came out around that time too, right? Yeah, yeah. So I I came out like a week after the police academy. And Arkansas is not a very accepting place at all. It's it's right. much better now. Um, but five years ago it was horrible. I lived in the like a central Arkansas, which is a very religious, like Southern Baptist bubble. Um and so my coming out there was not great. Like, luckily, my sergeant at the time um, was gay and she has a wife. And so that was like awesome. Super helpful. To yeah. have her. Like, she was actually the first person I ever came out to um, when I started dating Aww. Jess. And so it was just a really cool experience. Um, but I, I think special. up here, it's it was. Yeah, it was it was kind of cool to like cause she was quite a bit older than me, 15 years older than me or so. And, um, and then coming out here, like I didn't really have to come out. Um, yeah. I look pretty, pretty gay and it's pretty <laughs> obvious and, um, which is nice. Like I don't, I don't have the struggle. I think that a lot of femme like lesbians do of like, right. you know, 
them having to come out a lot more than someone that looks like me. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, okay. You grew up though in the, what, what was it? The Baptist church? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what was that like then? I mean, growing up in the Baptist church and being gay also did falling in love with Jess. Is that what told you? <laughs> is that when you realized or had you always <laughs> known? This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yeah, so two-sided question. I'll um, I'll go with the first. So growing up, Southern Baptist um, was super legalistic, super black and white. Like it was, um, my family was very much like this is right and this is wrong, and there's no gray area. Like there's no conversation about certain things. Mm-hmm. Like my mom was very um, verbal about her disgust of gay people, mm. um, and she would talk openly about. I remember like her walking down the grocery store and looking at like cans of food and being like, Oh, this is a Procter and Gamble product. And that's a gay couple. Like we can't support that. Um, so like she was super extreme about her, her disgust is the best word to you to use for that. Cause that's what she would say. Like, that's disgusting. That's disgusting. Like, wow. That's my biggest memory of her like growing up with gay people and LGBTQ plus people is like disgusting and, you know, abomination and, Wow. So on and so forth. And so it was very like clear in my mind that like, oh, this is disgusting and unnatural and sinful. And again, she would always say like people are only um, gay and she called everybody gay. So I'm just using that term because that's yeah, what she sure. This yeah. There was no like acronym 20 years ago. Right. You know? Right. Sure. Um, she would say like, well, people are only gay because they can't find someone of the opposite sex that is attracted to oh, them. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't know at that age, I mean, growing up, like, sure. I had boyfriends my whole life until like early college. And the first girl I kissed, I was 16. Um, and I was like, just kind of out of curiosity, like it wasn't so much a sexual thing for me at that age. It was just like, I want to try this because I think it would be fun. And I don't really like kissing boys, so maybe I like kissing girls. <laughs> right. Um, Which and I just ne- turned out to be true. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was very interesting for me. And so from 16 to like 2021, 20, I would just like kiss a lot of girls. And that was it. Like I'd kiss them and then I'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm not gay because everybody kisses girls, right? Like it's just a thing that people do. <laughs> Like it doesn't mean anything. And, um, and that was true for the, for the most part, like I knew a lot of girls in college that would like make out with girls and they were straight and that was fine. Like they had boyfriends and it was like a drunk thing that people did and still is. I mean, it's still a very common thing that like women kiss women and then they are still like in relationships with men, which is cool. Um, but that's kind of where my mind was at is like, Oh, well this doesn't mean anything. Like it's, it's just, it's just casual. It's just for fun. But then I realized, okay, it's been four years since I've kissed a guy and I've been kissing a lot of women. So that is maybe mm. like, a, <laughs> that maybe means something more to me than just a casual thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so then I actually fell in love with a girl in college and we had sort of like a secret relationship for 
almost two years. Uh, it was like on and off and no one knew literally except she and I, and we weren't out. And so our relationship consisted of like, Hey, meet me in your car after class. Like, oh, wow. Hey, let's, let's go drive somewhere. Like, right. Um, which was so weird being 20, you know, I was 20 years old and I was like acting like I was 13, you know, right. right. <laughs> sneaking around. Yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes the sneaking around is fun. Yeah, that's it's... true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was fun for a little bit. And then I think I got to a point where I was like, oh, I really want to like date you like yeah. real, like I want to have a relationship and like hold your hand at school and like sit with you at lunch and kiss mm. you in the parking lot. And like, that's what people do in college. And I can't do any of that. Yeah. Um, so we ended up like kind of splitting because neither one of us were ready for a relationship and it just was like super toxic. And, um, then I met Jess very shortly after that. And when I met her, I was like, oh, okay. Like, this is what it's supposed to feel like. This is mm-hmm. what my stomach is supposed to feel like. This is what, like, I'm not saying love is always like butterflies and rainbows cause it's not, but the initial feeling of like attraction was something that I hadn't experienced ever before meeting her. Um, and the connection that I felt with her, I always joke. I'm like, babe, I knew I was going to marry you like the day I met you. <laughs> I get that. I definitely yeah. get that feeling because it really is just something like I never dated anybody until I dated Lauren and I knew the moment yeah. that we started dating, we were going to be married. So there is something to it. It's not just like butterflies. It's, I, I think there really is right. some sort of magic. When you know, you know, kind something of, that yeah. happens. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, people make fun of that statement, but I, I honestly think it's true. And I don't think it's true for everyone. Like, right. Jess didn't have that same experience. Like it took her a while longer, but she had had serious relationships in her past and I hadn't. So that was kind of Mm. a big difference for us. Like I had never dated anyone seriously. I had never opened up to anyone emotionally. Like I didn't have any, um, any like deep connections with, with past relationships. So it was much easier for me to be like, I'm all in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. So when you, when you fell in love with Jess and you decided, Hey, okay, I'm going to come out like full stop. How Mm -hmm. was that with the fam? Yeah, it was tough. Um, so I actually, so Jess and I talked on Instagram for a couple months, um, before meeting. And then I was supposed to fly up here to meet her. Um, some scheduling stuff with my job didn't work out. And so she ended up flying to Arkansas to meet me and we spent like three blissful days together we always say and Mm. basically at the end of the trip she was like so where are we going from here um I was 22 and she was 24 at the time so I'm very big on like communication and so she so like I was like we need to talk about this like this was a fun weekend but what is it just a fun weekend Mm. um and basically I told her I was like I like this is this weekend was like eye-opening to me and like I know that I'm gay and I'm gonna come out tomorrow and she was like, whoa, wow. whoa, whoa. Like, uh, I don't know if that's okay. Like, I don't, I don't want to like ruin your life. You know, she was like, I know your family, like mm-hmm. your whole life is Christian. You're all of your friends, your church, you lead worship. You like, this is your world. Like if you come out tomorrow, like that's going to completely be shattered. And I was like, yeah, I, I know. I'm aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she left, she flew out that morning. And like two hours later, I sent an email to my family, each, each member of my family. So my mom, my dad, both my brothers individually and kind of wrote specific things to each of them. And then I made a Instagram post with like a rainbow that said, be you. And I talked about how, you know, I keep, I always post about like vulnerability and transparency and I'm 
passionate about like being real. Like that's a big part of my life and what I stand for. And I basically like confessed to having lied to people and dated men and kind of had this secret life the last six years and that I was tired of living like that. And I was okay with, you know, the consequences of what was going to come after this. And so, um, I got like a ton of emails and calls and ignored, but basically everyone, you know, because I didn't really care to talk to anybody at that Mm -hmm. point. Um, but my mom didn't talk to me for like six weeks. Um, so I sent her the email. I didn't hear anything back from her for six weeks and we live in the same, we lived in the same city at the time. So like that was a long time for us. I mean, I usually saw her every day. Um, Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So like we would go to lunch or we'd go to coffee or go on a bike ride or like dinner, you know, like we, we hung out a lot. Um, and so that was really hard for me because I felt like we were pretty close, like growing up. And then my dad called me (laughs) and was like, Oh, I've known you were gay since you were like 12. Like, but you know, I love you. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So it was pretty cool. Like my dad and I are really close. He's like my best friend. And I talked to him at least weekly. Um, and he and I have gotten, so so much closer since I came out because my whole life like my mom and I was kind of like a mama's girl and um mostly spent time with her and my my brothers spent time with my dad just because that's the traditional like Christian you know household um but then after coming out like my dad and I just got super super close and um my mom and I drifted so it was kind of like a reverse relationship there and my my oldest brother uh Carter he was like against it, but wasn't, um, and still is like he, his beliefs are not the same as mine, but he is respectful. Like he's not like someone who's going to say you're, you know, you're sending, you're going to hell. Um, he thinks that it's a sin, but he thinks that, you know, he still loves me. And he, he came to my wedding. Um, his wife did not, and the kids did not, they have four kids. Um, so that was kind of a point of contention, but he came. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, and then my other brother, Colin, he's closer to my age. He's 31 and he was in the wedding. He was my best man in the wedding. So that was really cool. And he basically emailed me back like five minutes later and was like, I don't care that you're gay. Like I'm easily the most liberal person in our family. So whatever makes you happy, (laughs) makes me happy. I was like, sweet. (laughs) Love that. Yeah. So it was, it was good. I mean, it was like, it was definitely challenging and my mom and I's relationship has never been the same. Um, and that, Mm -hmm. that was probably the hardest part is like, I really feel like it put a big damper on our relationship and, um, she's, she came to the wedding. Like she is, I would say tolerant of Jess and I's relationship of our marriage. Um, and like talks about it, like doesn't, doesn't not post about it on social media, but like, you can tell it's just different than, you know, my brother's like fiance and my brother's wife. Like it's just a completely different level of excitement. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thank you for sharing that. I know uh, yeah. coming out stories are very personal and, um, but I know I, I'm glad you did share though, because you know, with our listeners, I think that's, it's comforting to hear other people's stories in that way. Yeah. Um, because there's like usually some sort of beautiful aspect and some sort of painful aspect, um, right. Most often. And, um, so anyway, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, 
I think that's, I got a tattoo shortly after it came out and, um, I love nice. tattoos as well. Like so that's we. another, <laughs> love them. I love the stories, but I got a, um, a heart with a bunch of like roses and kind of symbolizing like out of heartache, like there comes beauty, even if it seems like it is painful, like there will eventually be beauty and kind of, so the roses symbolize like roses have seasons and they grow and then they die, but they, they grow again. So mm. Um, kind of just like reminding me that like, okay, there are seasons of growth and there are seasons of, of, of dying, you know, and that's yeah. kind of where I, where I felt like I was at is just like a, a valley. Um, but knowing that yeah. like, okay, with every valley, like there comes a mountain after that. Yeah. I have a, I have a tattoo that is means essentially the same to me, but it's a snake. <laughs> ah. Um, and it, it means, I mean, just the shedding of the skin. So it's like, you have to slip yeah. it off and like, leave it behind. And I mean, there's lots of aspects to my snake tattoo that I love. It also makes a, a lot of religious people scared and they usually don't talk to me if they see it. So I also right. like that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but mostly it's for me, it's like a powerful creative thing. And also, yeah, just the shedding of it's like the new seasons and things like right. that. So I can appreciate that uh, as a tattoo for sure. So as right. much as, yeah. as much as you lost a lot of your community, um, at least close, like your, uh, some of your family connections and things like that, how did that affect your church spaces? Cause you said you were leading worship. You were pretty yeah. heavily involved in your church space and you still cling on to your Christianity. Mm-hmm. So what, yeah. what, what was it for you? How did that shift? And, and what is it for you that keeps you wanting to, to claim Christianity that keeps, keeps you wanting to dig in deeper? Yeah. Great question. Loaded question. Um, <laughs> so like I, <laughs> I love them. I love them. Um, I came out and my pastor at the time, my pastor's wife actually, because again, in my church setting, like men don't call women because that's seen as like, you know, they're hitting on you or it's sure, like they're trying yeah. to guard your heart or whatever. I'm like, that's so stupid, but whatever. <laughs> Um, so the pastor's wife calls me and she's like, Oh my God, Corey, or Oh my gosh, Corey, I saw your Instagram post. Um, and I'd love to get coffee with you soon. And oh chat. no, not the coffee chat. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, so at the time I didn't know the lingo like that. That didn't trigger anything for me. That's like, Oh, she's going to condemn me because it hadn't happened to me before. Sure. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, Oh yeah, great coffee. Like coffee's where we always do our discipleship meetings. That sounds great. Love um, so we sit down and it's like this whole, like, I'm concerned for your heart. Like, um, you know, I love you. So this is why I'm telling you. And like, I'm, you know, I'm worried about you. I'm worried about your decisions. And I just fear that, you know, you're being deceived by the devil because of this. And because you've been hurt by men, like I can see how this would be an attractive option for you. Um, and Yikes. I was like, just sitting there you know, listening to this woman tell me how she knows like how I feel as she's been married for 15 years to a man and has kids. And I'm like, you have no idea what I'm feeling, but okay. (laughs) So basically she was like, we need you to step down, you know, from, from worship while we figure out what, what's next, you know, for the church and for the leadership team. I was also on leadership. Um, and I love you, but I can't publicly love you. Yes. Exactly. It's, I love you, but I'm like, that, that's not, and I love you. So, um, from there, I kind of fizzled, like I stopped going all of my, my three closest friends from college that I was best friends with since freshman year, like individually called me and were like, do you think you'll inherit the kingdom of God? Like while being in a relationship with a woman and 
at the time it was like, I didn't know anything theologically. Like I didn't, I, I was so like, I don't care, you know, like I'm in love and that's what I know. Like I know what love is and this is it and everything else can kind of come later. But yeah. like that question has like sat in my head and I am reminded, like, I remember where I was sitting when she called me, she was like, do you think that you'll inherit the kingdom of God while in a relationship with a woman? And I was like, yeah, I do. Like, um, <laughs> and this was almost five years ago now. So my, my beliefs have changed so much since then, but yeah. like even thinking about the audacity of a follower of Jesus to call somebody that you are supposedly like best friends with for three and a half years and say like, do you think you'll still go to heaven? And because with, of like what, clear how you're living and undertone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, I basically stopped hanging out with everybody from church. Uh, my three best friends didn't talk to me. They blocked me on Instagram, blocked me on Facebook. Wow. Um, essentially they tried for like a week or two and like would reach out to me and like say praying for you. And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't want you to pray that I'm straight. Like I'm good. Um, so I was pretty, I was pretty bitter for a while after that. And then it was really not until I would say like five or six months after coming out that I was like, I miss Jesus. Like, Mm. I don't miss the church. I don't miss the, the boring little like catty conversations and drama and stupid things, but I miss Jesus and I miss the feeling of peace. Um, and that was something that like, kind of connected me to wanting to follow Jesus in the first place was like this peace that I feel, mm-hmm. um, that I don't have anywhere else. And so I think what keeps me coming back and I love that question. Um, and that's like one of my favorite questions to ask people because I think it's just a really, um, beautiful question. Cause it, everybody's, everybody's response is so different, but for me, um, it is, it's the peace. It's the, when everything goes wrong, like, I feel peace when everything seems to be scary and in my line of work, especially, I mean, I'm in a really dangerous job. Like, um, there was a point where I was unemployed. Like I've been through some really scary things, especially as a cop, like situations where I was like, I could literally die any second. Um, and just having that inner, inner peace of like, that's okay. Like I'm, I'm at peace with the fact that I could die any second. Um, and I didn't feel that outside of, of Christ. And I'm not saying that you can't, but for me, it was like, I had that peace and I have that peace daily. Um, and I think that's something that like, I don't struggle with anxiety. I don't have anxiety, but I think I would if I didn't know Jesus because the world is just so crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it keeps me grounded. Like it, it keeps me, um, yeah, it just keeps me at peace. And it reminds me that like, kind of everything's going to be okay, even if it doesn't seem like it's okay right now. And my beliefs have changed a lot. And I I don't really like read my Bible often at all anymore, but I connect with God in different ways. Um, And I've noticed that that's like, like fruits of the spirit are really big for me. So I see like, okay, is my life producing fruit? Mm. Um, And that is, that is like something that I ask myself every day is like, did I exhibit fruits of the spirit today? Um, and if I did, then that's, that, that's good for me. Like that means I'm living like Jesus. And that means Mm. like, for me, that's what I strive for is like, I constantly remind myself, like, is this fruitful? Is this conversation fruitful? Is, you know, is what I'm doing at work fruitful? And how am I making this person's life better? Um, and it doesn't have to be like, 
legalistic where I sit down and share the gospel with them, which is what I always thought. Like, that's what loving people is, is like sharing the gospel with them and saving them from hell. Um, and now I'm like, oh my God, there's so much more to the gospel than telling people that they're going to hell. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> that that's just not, not the way to do it and not something that's going to attract people to want to follow Jesus anyway. Yeah. So it really, it, yeah. And it, it comes down to the fruits of the spirit for me is like, I, I love the verse that talks about like a bad tree can't produce good fruit and a good tree can't produce bad fruit. Yeah. Right. Um, cause I, I keep telling myself and when I have to have conversations with people that aren't affirming, it's like, I bring that up and I say, what do you think about this verse? Because I see my life producing good fruit. So you know, and I, and I don't see yours producing good fruit. So maybe think on that a little bit. <laughs> right. right. Well, with, with, you said Jesus brings you so much peace. Um, and as someone, so both Adam and I grew up in the Christian tradition. Um, and so when I hear, and we've had a lot of actually, we've had a lot of deconstructed yet still identify like Christian identifying people on this season. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that like, I'm curious about is, um, and it's individual. I understand that. So for you then personally, is it the belief in Jesus that brings you peace? Is it the fact that he once lived? Is it, mm. is it prayer to Jesus? Like, does Jesus literally have to be an embodiment of God or is it the, the, the leadership of what Jesus put out to the world? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think the latter, I would say it's who I believe that he was and what he stood for. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's necessarily like his birth or like right, the, right. that story so much for me, or even the fact that I think that he saved, like the whole idea of he saved us from our sins. Like it's not even that it's not, it used to be, okay, I'm going to heaven and that's what gives me peace that I'm not going to hell, mm. but that changed. Um, and I think now it's just like, that's who I want to be. Like I, um, I know that Jesus like loves me no matter what. And that is something that like, I literally don't feel with very many people in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like most people are pretty conditional lovers. Um, And the fact that Jesus can love unconditionally, like everybody is mind blowing to me and is, is like a goal of mine to be like, okay, how do I love unconditionally? And I get that's this agape love that we're not even capable of as humans. We're not even capable to, to give. Um, but you know, we, we can do the the whole phileo love. I believe that's like the brotherly love. And that's what I want to be. Like, I want someone to see me as a person and be like, wow, how does she love me through that? Like yeah. how, how is her response to that to forgive me? Or how is her response to that patience? Like i my goal is to like make people question that. Like, what is it about you? And I've, and I've had people question cause I don't tell people unless they follow me on social media. Like I don't go around being like, I'm a Christian. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> uh, but I had a coworker the other day, actually we had a conversation and she was like, what, um, what do you believe? Uh, mm. you I was like, what do what do you mean? And she was like, well, I just see things in you. Like I see qualities in you that make me, um, want to know more about what you believe in. And I was like, wow, like that was, that was such a cool compliment to me because it was like, I didn't have to sit there and like tell her that I love Jesus and that's why I'm acting the way that I am. Like, but it's my goal to kind of exhibit the behaviors, especially that unconditional love. Cause like I said, I feel like so many people have experienced conditional love, um, 
in one form or another, whether it's from a parent or seeing every other or friend, like we're always like, I love you no matter what. And then yeah. something happens or someone does something and it's like, oh, but, but not now. <laughs> well, I feel like that's like, I think because unconditional love is still a result of a binary um, that sees conditions. And it mm-hmm. sounds to me like the space that you're trying to achieve is is one that dismisses conditions at all from the conversation yeah. of love. Like it's not unconditional love because I can love you through something. It's just love because that's what love does is right. It it just exists. It just transcends yeah. boundaries. It doesn't it doesn't seek for validation through being able to love somebody through something and how that's a stronger love than one that's conditional. It just it just is. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that's becoming easier as we see communities crop up like Kevin Garcia or like right. your favorite heretics or Brenda with God is Gray or mm-hmm. so many other communities that are exhibiting, I don't know, I, I can't even call it religion, but theology or lack thereof or community that um, that really is loving and that really is opening boundaries and boxes and, right. and it's so accessible now to be able to see different expressions of Christianity, of atheism, of agnosticism, of, of community building outside of the structure of any sort of theology. And I think that is so helpful for being able to develop something that is post-conditional, something that is post-theological, because, because if we're able to, if we're able to step outside of that binary and we're able to just kind of live into the relationships that we're in and just be present for one another. I think the more that we can see nuance and difference in the way that people see and experience the world, the better, the better we'll all be for it. Yeah. Hey everyone. Want to take a quick moment to say thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode and rate and review the podcast as it helps others find this online community. Thanks so much. Now back to the episode. Yeah, absolutely. I do think it's it's growing and it's really encouraging for me to like see even the last couple of years, like how far we've come as a community. And um, I just think it's it's really beautiful to have spaces like this that are growing and becoming popular uh, because like for me growing up, it was like there was only atheists or like yeah. Southern Baptists. <laughs> right, um, right. And you, you kind of had to pick, it was like this or this. And if you're anywhere in the middle, then you must be on the like atheist side. Like if you're questioning anything about the Bible, then you must not be following Jesus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so that was kind of the, the start for me was just the, the topic of homosexuality. And that kind of spiraled into like, well, what other things was I taught that aren't true? Like um, kind of the whole deconstruction. I didn't even know that word until I, started reading books and following accounts and I was like, Oh, there's a whole community of these people. Like, yeah. And it's new awesome. too, you know, even when we first started the podcast, it was whispers in the back corners of churches and on the tours that we were on that conversations that were happening backstage, um, people reading books from, you know, father Richard Rohr and Eckhart Tolle yeah. and like all these different people that are, that they, even even Rob Bell. Oh my gosh, uh-huh. I know the gateway drug to to deconstructing <laughs> Christianity. Um, and I just I, I'm so glad that there has been 
community crop ups and people really starting to talk about this because I think it really is important for people to be able to express every different nuance and facet of what their belief looks like. Mm-hmm. And and I know you moved out of community spaces in physical churches from the sounds of it. Um, mm-hmm. Where have you found your communities? Like, do you primarily have conversations like this with just like friends or is this, do you have these kind of conversations with the close intimate people that you work with or are you finding that community through Instagram and, and the communities that are being fostered there? Like, what does it look like for you now? Do you feel like you've filled that void? Yes and no. I would say not to the degree that I would hope to eventually. Um, and Jess and I have talked about this a lot, but like we feel like, at least in this area, the we grew up, you know, in evangelical churches, like mega church type places with big, like Hillsong. Think Hill, I mean, that type of worship and like yeah. the Judah Smith, like really intriguing Stephen Furtick type sermons that are like, wow, that's good. Like, you know, you hear something like that, that's good. That's, that's a good sermon, you know? <laughs> um, but like, so I, and I loved that. Like I loved being able to walk away from church and feel like that worship was really good or that sermon, like really, you know, sparked something in me and like made me want to be challenged in this way. And so something that we've struggled with here is like the affirming churches in the area that we've attended are, much different than the type of churches that we grew up in and the like type of churches that we enjoyed going to. And from, I mean, everything from the worship to the sermon and everything is different and it's not bad. It's just different. And so it's, it's getting used to a a worship that is so different than what we grew up in um, and having to kind of unlearn like, okay, worship doesn't have to, to look a certain way to be worship. Um, that's something that is kind of really ingrained in my mind, even as a worship leader is like, well, this is worship. Um, and I'm realizing now like worship is a lot of things. Um, and it doesn't have to just be singing a certain song, like in a church building with our hands in the air, it can be loving someone, you know, that's freezing cold and giving them a blanket and a a granola bar or whatever, like that can be a form of worship too. Um, so I would say as far as community goes, like we don't have a whole lot of community here. I mean, this area in general is like not super Jesus focused. Um, I mean, it's, as you know, Seattle's a very liberal area and, um, just not like a lot of atheists, a lot of agnostics. Um, most of my friends are agnostics, I would say, um, so that is a, there is a piece of me that's like craving connection with, uh, believers. And I, I would say I get that on Instagram mostly like Rachel and I from your favorite heretics, we talk quite a bit. Um, and then my two best friends from Arkansas that were both in my wedding, like they have both deconstructed a ton. Um, and they both live in Northwest Arkansas and are kind of on like a similar, pathway. And so we, we talk quite a bit about like where we're at and what we believe and how we kind of stay grounded in that. Um, because it can feel lonely for sure to like, especially in this area. Um, because like I said, there's just not a lot of like faith minded people that are also affirming and like, you know, just kind of feel like that they're where we are at, like, uh, spiritually. And so that's been, I would say the biggest challenge is just like finding people that, are open-minded on certain things, but then also have like the roots in um, faith-based Christianity, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, um, have you 
gone on what is church clarity yeah. com. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is is there anything like near you? you there can? is. And we've we've visited a couple of them, but they're all um just very, very different types of right. churches than, yeah. than what we grew up in. Right. So. Nothing, nothing, no worship that I've ever felt since kind of leaving when we were touring doing right. worship music has ever hit the same way yeah. as like mega church worship mm-hmm. ballad like Corporate anthems. worship is like what it's... Yeah. What There's I've just something it about it. And, and I don't know, like I've kind of poked fun at it a bit and talked about how there's a little bit of an algorithm at, as being mm-hmm. a drummer who would be on stage and as you know, too, as a worship leader, there's kind of an algorithm to to really making it like land. You know, the yeah. cymbal swells oh, at the absolutely. right time and yep. you have somebody that can kind of speak a little bit in between that's really yep. going to pull heartstrings. Like, yeah. And I think there's something to that. I think there is a kind of a science to it. And we've actually had conversations with somebody that talks about the, the like psychoanalysis of those that are in this um, state of, uh, I, I don't even remember what it was, but um, basically easily influenced in those kind of states. Oh, yeah, yeah. And like hypnot- being hypnotized. Yeah, basically. basically. And, and But but that all that to say, I can know all the science around it and I can still miss the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Which I feel like is kind of an unpopular thing to people like, at least in our circles, like we sometimes lately, I mean, we've been watching um, Elevation Church on like at home quite a bit and just because I love the worship and I love Stephen Furtick's sermons but then it's like I have this internal kind of I don't know thing that comes up and it's like I know he's not affirming or I know the church is not affirming I don't know about him specifically but like I get messages from people like how do you watch that like you know they you know that they're against gay marriage and it's like that's really challenging because I I love the worship and I love the sermons and it's like I would never give to a church like that like financially but um for me like it's it's been helpful um for us during especially during covid to like have something to watch on sundays um that actually is like challenging to us and something we can talk about and we've never heard a sermon that's like anti-affirming um and if we did we wouldn't watch it but it's still like people are like well how could you support something that you know is so blatantly like against who you are yeah so that's something we're still kind of dealing with right now and figuring out like, well, what should we do? And should we not watch that? And, or should we not post about it? Like, is that triggering to people or, um, well, I, and I think there's two things to that. I think you can, you can be selfish with that. Like it's not really about anybody, but you and what, what it is that you need. And on top right. of that, you also don't have to only listen to people who 100% agree with you. And right. I think that's important to kind of keep, keep yourself surrounded not necessarily by people who you know if people are really saying that you know if if Stephen Furtick drops some sermon that's very anti-LGBTQ like that's going to be highly problematic for you but you'll know Mm -hmm. that in your you'll know that in your soul like it will feel different and it won't be what you need and so then you won't consume it right and I think I think the big like fundamental difference and this is something that I keep kind of mulling over and processing like I'm an Enneagram force I process things all the time. Um, but I was just sitting like thinking, well, what's the, like, what's the deal with the church saying like, we love you, you know, and Christians that are anti for me, like we love you. It's like, okay, well, we must have a different idea of love. We must have a a different definition of love because that's where it's stemming from. We're never going to come, we're never going to see eye to eye on the issue of homosexuality or other things because our definition of love is completely different. 
Um, and that's not something that we can, I mean, well, in scripture, we know what, what, what the definition of love is. Right. And so for me, that's what I go back to is like, well, we, we do know what love is. Right. We just have different beliefs of what we, what we believe love looks like. <laughs> right. Well, and it gets dicey when it really comes down to God is love, right? Like mm-hmm. it's when, when the, your primary disagreement is on what right. love actually looks like, you're disagreeing on what God you're worshiping. And right. I think that's where that's where the dissonance lies a lot of the time. Yeah, it's not it's not a surface level thing such as like show me the theology on homosexuality because I can go on that train every day and show you why you're wrong, you know. But that's that's just going to solve one little issue. We still have the root of like your belief of love is different than my belief of love, and that's going to change your entire perspective, your lens of what you see everything out of. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right. You're right. Um, is there, uh, you know, you know, you kind of know the space that we exist in and, um, you, you know, our Instagram, is there anything for our community or our listeners that you kind of want to leave them with? Mm. Yeah. Um, I would say don't be afraid to question things. Um, I think that was something that like for me growing up, something I wish someone would have told me and not just growing up physically, but growing up spiritually, like in the last couple of years, Mm -hmm. like I think even as I began to deconstruct certain things, like for example, homosexuality was the first topic of deconstruction for me. And then I thought, well, what do I believe about divorce? Let me, let me explore this. Like, this is something that I was always told was wrong, but let me, let me explore it. And then abortion. And then, you know, it just kind of kept going on from there. Like, what are, what do I believe about these things? And really got to the point of like, what do I believe about hell? And that was like a big turning point for me. Um, but I would say that's a whole other conversation, but like my, (laughs) my piece of advice is just like, don't be afraid to question things. Um, and really dive deeper beyond just like what the initial issue is for you, because people oftentimes deconstruct for, for a reason, whether it's, you know, their friend comes out, oftentimes that's it, or their parents get divorced or whatever it is. Like they begin to question things, values and fundamental beliefs that they were taught for a reason. Uh, but oftentimes that gets shut down after they figure out that topic, um, rather than, kind of opening their eyes or opening their ears and their hearts to see like there are other areas that I was also wrong about and humbling yourself enough to be like hey I, I was wrong about this um and that's hard like <laughs> that's that's really hard to do as humans because our brains also don't like to unlearn things it's like statistically and psychologically it's seven times harder to unlearn something than it is to learn it mm. And so our brain and our heart is like, no, I don't want to explore that because it's hard. Um, even if it's subconscious, we we shy away from hard things, hard conversations, hard feelings because they're uncomfortable. Um, rather than stepping into that and saying, okay, this is this is hard now, but this is going to produce again produce fruit in the long term and um, is going to be better for my life and my future and my relationship with God long term because that's what I have to remind myself too is like God wants you to know truth like God wasn't doesn't want you to be blinded by things that other people told you to believe like I whether it's a he or a she or a they like God I believe wants us to know truth um, mm. and so whatever that means for you to like 
step into that, I think is a, a valuable, um, valuable use of your time. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> I second that. Yeah. I love that so much. Thank you for sharing that. That's beautiful. Of course. And can I share your, um, your Instagram with our, our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, perfect. So go ahead and shout out where people can find you. Uh, so my username is just my first and last name. So it's at Cori Latusik, uh, C-O-R-I and then L-A-T-O-U-S-E-K. Perfect. Awesome. Amazing. Well, I'll make sure I put it in the description notes um, of this episode so everyone can find Perfect. you. Thank you so much for uh, being on the pod today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you guys so much for listening. We love you. Until next time. Bye. Bye.